having a business partner is like a marriage. Do our lives work well together? What is your relationship with money? What is your day-to-day ideal life look like? What are your short and long-term goals? What works well about us is understand the other one's discipline, but neither of us really does that wholly. She makes a really good partner in terms of sharing feedback, giving honest opinions, but also with no inclination to step on my toes or vice versa. Hello, and welcome to episode 74 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, your failure connoisseur, and today my guests are Danielle Leroy and Jessica Strelioff. These two are long-time creative collaborators, but came together more formally last year to launch Goodside Studio. The ethos was, one part visual, one part verbal, weaving colour, concept, and copy into cohesive brand systems that scale. Wait, what? What does that mean? Well, Jessica is a brand identity designer with over 10 years experience working with the likes of Asana, Yahoo, Google, and agencies such as Upperquad, Farm Design, and Paladar. Danielle is a wordsmith that has smithed words for the likes of Patagonia, Robin Hood, and Google. To give you a taste of her wordsmithing, her website homepage says, Strategy with soul, copy with character brands you want to hang out with alliteration for the nation there beautiful work but has it all been as smooth as the words copy with character though you guessed it no it hasn't the failures we'll talk about in today's episode are navigating the pre-commitment phase before they started good side ignoring orange slash red flags in new business schools and saying yes to projects for the wrong reasons so embrace and learn from failure in episode 74 of Webflail with Goodside Studio. Danielle, Jessica, welcome to Webflail. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thank you, Jack. Great to be here. Love your intro. Thanks, guys. I'm very glad that we finally got this together. It has been a long time coming and I've been seeing all your beautiful work on Twitter and I'm like, I need to get these two on Webflail. So to kick it off with a very light question... What is your relationship with failure? Do you want to start? I I can start. So I think I'm pretty critical. I think I tend to be really self-critical. I'm pretty critical about our agency. Just like I'm constantly looking for how we can improve. And I'm also maybe pessimistic or, or like always just like looking for a failure that could come up and planning ahead accordingly. So that's my relationship with failure. I don't like failing. I like I like winning and succeeding, but I'm not like competitive necessarily. I just like want to be the best. So the best version of myself and the best designer and the best. <laughs> I like that answer. I'm I'm not competitive. I just love to win. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we have fairly similar relationships with failure in that I think Jessica and I are both real perfectionists. And so we're both pretty picky about what qualifies as a success. And anything short of that is sort of viewed as like maybe a failure, but in a in a positive way. I think I think Jess and I like partnering up has changed my relationship with failure a little bit. I've gotten a lot more comfortable with failing, having a partner that is like consistently working with me. And as we sort of build our studio together, I feel like my relationship with failure has gotten a lot more comfortable because there's just a hundred fails in every project and having someone to be like, this is 
bad, right? Or like, this is good, right? It's just a much easier relationship having someone there to kind of go through it with you. Yeah, that's a really interesting take because I guess once you've got someone to lean on that has skill sets that maybe aren't as strong for you personally as well, like that's a really cool dynamic to be like, you know, is this normal? Yeah, we're just going to push through and we're going to make it work together. Maybe that's why I thought our relationship with failure was different because I always go to Danielle when I think that I'm failing or like we're failing as a studio somehow. And she's like the optimistic one that's that's pulling me up out of it, you know, and like and and, you know, patting me on the shoulder, or, like being like, it's OK, it's not that bad or like, you know, I just she's definitely more the optimistic one of the two of us, I would say. I'm a big I'm a big silver linings gal. Yeah, you are <laughs> in a great way and in, in a way that's needed. It's good that you compliment each other in that way as well as your skill sets then. And I, I read in this uh, article on Creative Boom that you guys were getting ready to launch the studio for quite a long time before you officially announced that, that the studio was launched. So it sounds like you were kind of preparing, preparing, preparing for quite a long time to kind of sow the seeds as it were. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we met nine years ago, I think, roughly around eight or nine years ago on the agency side. And so we were working together there for about three years. I went freelance first and then slowly pulled Danielle into freelance land over time, just kind of, you know, bringing her on for like small parts of a project, giving giving her a little taste of, of that world before she went freelance. What year did you go freelance, Danielle? 2020. 2020. And then we basically, starting then, pretty much worked together consistently up until when we formed Good Side. So we were op- operating in a lot of different sort of ways. Like we would subcontract for each other. We also operated under like my temporary studio to Australia Off & Co., which was just kind of like an umbrella name because I was working with so many other creatives and didn't feel like working under my name alone was was the right fit. So we had a lot of different ways that we were sort of like forming good side and working together before we officially launched in April of last year. So it felt like a really natural evolution. And I think that taking that like long road to set it up is kind of reflective of that perfectionist tendency that we both have of like, let's over-prepare and over-prepare and make sure that, you know, every single kink is worked out before we dive into something, uh, which of course... Is all, you can only prepare so much. Yeah, I feel like failing is may- maybe like quite a pejorative word to use. But can I ask you guys why you both got on? Because obviously you've got different skill sets. So it makes sense that you, you know, work together to complement each other's different skill sets. But why did you both decide that you each individually had the components to, to make a studio together successfully? I can feel that. I mean, for me, it was like the choice was obvious. Jess was just the best designer I had ever worked with. I liked the way that she thinks through projects. And so it was like, in terms of choosing a partner, a very obvious choice to me, or at least she was my first choice. I guess I could have gone with someone else, but they would have been my second. And I, yeah, I think what works well about us is we, we understand the other one's discipline, but neither of us really does that wholly. And so... Like Jess is very strategically minded, but she's definitely a designer. And so I think she makes a really good partner in terms of sharing feedback and sort of giving honest opinions about my work 
understanding what it takes to do it, but also with no inclination to like get in there and step on my toes or vice versa. And Jessica, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, likewise, I I always said there's only one person I would start a studio with, and it's been Danielle. I mean, we even when we met at the agency like nine, eight, nine years ago, I was we would joke with each other like one day when we have a studio, one day when we have a studio. So we kind of knew. It's like when you know, you know, as they say. I think our I think there's a, several factors that make us the right partners, and then also the right types of humans to run a s- small studio. I think our personality just complement each other. Our skill sets, as Daniel touched on, complement each other well. While we also know how to stay in, stay in our lanes a little bit and know when those lanes can sort of cross over. I think we're also really kind of go-getter people. We're self-initiated. Like, we are organized. We know Plus how to speak is more to organized. people and present, which is very... <laughs> One more than the other. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're... I, I feel like you're pretty organized. I don't know. But... We, and, you know, we you know we both have a lot of experience speaking with clients over the years. So I think all of those sort of elements, the fact that we had a background working in agencies where we saw the sort of business side of it, helped us have that confidence to first go out on our own and then ultimately do it together. And why why was it last year that you finally pulled the trigger then? Because if you've known each other for that long. You've both said to each other, well, one day, and you, if you know, you know, and, and you know, like, okay, we're, like, we're a good fit. Why did you wait so long to actually finally decide that the studio was the thing you both wanted to do? Is your design any good? Is that the right color? Is that copy? any good for conversions. If only there was a tool to help you answer these questions. One tool built to test Webflow sites for all. Enter OptiBase, the A-B testing tool for Webflowers. Test anything you can think of. Colors, layouts, buttons, layouts, buttons. No credit card needed. Sign up today by clicking the link in the show notes. Out now for web flowers everywhere. Back to the episode. I think it's scary. It's like getting married, kind of. Like having a business partner really is like a marriage. And sometimes you can, you know, get a little like, is our, our do our lives work well together? Like when you're forming a business partnership, it's a lot of conversations around like, What is your relationship with money? What is your day-to-day ideal life look like? Uh, What are your short and long-term life goals? And how does that fit into running a studio? And, you know, we had a lot of value conversations up front before we formalized Good Side. So, and I think just like we experimented a lot with different types of projects and sizes of clients and scopes. And so we could like really hone in on our process and the type of work that we really wanted to go after. So, yeah, I think it just kind of takes time and I'm glad we didn't rush into it. But also that is one of our failures that we kind of want to talk about today. So I don't know. I think it was good that we launched when we did. But I do think waiting so long had its tricky things that we had to sort of overcome and work through and figure out how to navigate. Also, like the ways that we engaged with clients, like we exhausted all of the different ways that you could work together 
before forming a studio. Like it was like, I would freelance under Jess. Jess would freelance under me. We would come at it in new business calls together, which was always like a little jarring for clients because they'd be like, who is that? (laughs) And so I think we sort of like tried out a bunch of different models before we dove into the studio situation because I think all of those give you a little bit more freedom than than the studio like decision gives you. Like it's a real commitment. Interesting. Okay. So what advice would you give to maybe Webflow freelancers that want to start an agency and maybe they're looking for a partner and how might they go about looking for a partner slash should they even try and find a partner or, you know, how would you kind of maybe advise someone who was had the inclination to start an agency but didn't really know where to start? So work with, make sure you work with the person before, like at in some capacity a lot. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people that I've reached out to me and like being like, hey, I'm like my friend and I that have never worked together before or thinking about partnering up. What do you think? And I just recommend do a freelance project together, do more than one freelance project together. Or if you can, you know, if one's working at an agency and one's a freelancer, see if you can hire them as a freelancer while you're still full time at that agency to kind of test them out. So just make sure that you work with the person first a lot and make sure that your working styles, you know, gel well together. I also, I mean, I think that that values conversation is a really important one to have before you properly team up. Jess and I had a lot of, a lot of conversations as she kind of spoke to earlier about what kind of lives we want to live. And I mean, where in the country we want to live just, you know, even like really nuts and bolts things of when do you want to retire? Those kinds of things were all conversations we had up front so that I mean so far we haven't really had any any big surprises which is nice but I could imagine teaming up with someone who you haven't worked with before being kind of riddled with surprises of like oh that person is not as organized as I am or like they like a much more informal client relationship than I like all of those yeah I think everybody has their own style of freelancing and you have to make sure that you're styles are compatible before you team up and and do it properly it's really interesting how you guys it does sound like the first dates conversations that you have and it kind of reminds me of i think it was bill murray that his advice to this couple that were getting married was that you should essentially travel around the world together before committing to to a relationship because you see people at their worst and at their best you know you're like hot and sweaty on a bus with a, a rucksack and you're like trying to, you know, wade across a river and all that like fun stuff that you do in traveling, but is super stressful. And and then, yeah, you kind of have a full insight into into what they're like. And it sounds like that you've kind of waded through the the trenches, as it were, of, of you know, design projects at all different scales before actually fully committing, which I think is really important thing because so many people seem to launch an agency especially in the webflow space it seems in my in my head or maybe that's just because i'm on twitter a lot but people seem to just launch stuff just like bang i just got a landing page and we'll test it out and it's like the amount of thought that you guys have approached your agency with is is unlike anyone i know in the webflow space which i think is quite interesting oh thank you that means a lot branding our own 
branding our own studio was a really good exercise for us as brand creators. It's really, really hard to brand yourself as as I'm sure you know and most creatives know. It it's but we really approached it like we do client work. Yeah. It's really hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. I think that's yeah. <laughs> like my take on it. It's like what am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? But I can do it for someone else because I can just tell them, hey, look, you you said this to me and I'm mirroring it back to you. But then when you're on your own, you're like, where's the kind of mirror, as it were? So, yeah, but I do think the amount of thought that's gone into your website is very, very clear. And it's, you know, the copy and design and it's just it just feels like really well thought out. So I think you guys have have nailed that. Speaking of positioning, this is something that I'm a big advocate of because I was working with Edgar Allen on their product Slater and we talked a lot about positioning and who it's for. The amount of times that I've been sent portfolios to to look at, which is really flattering, but sometimes I just think, ah, you've just said you're a web flower and nothing else. And I can't help feeling that there's got to be more. There's got to be a unique source that you bring to the world that no one else can bring by virtue of you just being you. And what are you? And I feel like you guys have really got that down. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with purpose-driven projects and how that was reflected in your branding and just, yeah, how you thought about your positioning as an agency? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I can, I can start at least answering that one. I mean, purpose-driven is really, it's so funny because I think it's a nice dog whistle to the right people, folks that are very like driven by whatever it is that their purpose is. It's somehow really broad purpose-driven. Everyone's kind of purpose-driven, but also narrows in and attracts the right folk. And for us, when we say purpose-driven, it's really like if you are if you are passionate about what you're doing, if you like couldn't imagine doing anything else, like that is that is what it is. But it is a nice signal to folks that are doing good in the world. And Jess and I both really love projects where we can kind of see see the good that the brand then does in the real world that like drives us creatively and yeah i think it's it's a nice signal to those folks coming up with the positioning for us is kind of funny we always talk about it as like doing therapy on yourself it's it's sort of like very introspective and hard but i think yeah purpose driven was one of those phrases that like once we once we found it, we've like really latched onto it and held it because it does, it attracts the right clients who similarly share like a love for the planet or their audience or whatever it is that they're doing and hold that in high regard. And I think it all stemmed from the naming. Like we started with naming, which is actually funny. Well, yeah, we did start with the name because, which is funny because normally for clients, we recommend doing positioning first and then naming, but we did it a little bit reverse we wanted we knew we wanted a name that felt really positive optimistic and we played around with a few names that almost that we bought domains for and then like we're not quite right like sun up was one that we were playing around with a little bit sun up studio but when we landed on good side i feel like just a lot of things clicked with that and then danielle came up with for brands that look good sound good and do good and that just felt really right and i think a lot of things built on top of that afterwards. And I think it also really dictated the tone that we wanted to take the studio's personality, like, you know, the personality of the studio that we wanted to build. You know, we knew we wanted it to be optimistic and friendly and approachable. 
But we also still wanted it to feel a little edgy because we are a brand studio, design studio after all. So, so yeah, I think after the name, I think a lot of things came naturally on top of that. Tell me about failure number one, navigating the pre-commitment phase before you started Goodside. Yeah, I can I can start on this one. Yeah, well, so Jess and I, we had kind of a long road together before we ever started Goodside. We worked at an agency together for a couple of years. And when Jess left, first of all, I was very sad, but pretty immediately she was like, come work with me, come work with me. We'll freelance together. We'll figure this out. When I started freelancing, we sort of tested out all these different ways of sort of working independently, but together. One would subcontract for the other. We would work with other agencies together. So both of us kind of coming in as a package deal saying like, we'll be your branding team. We worked under Strelioff and Co. for quite a while. And all of those models ended up being kind of confusing for for both for us and for our clients, especially, you know, when we were doing new business calls, we would have like this kind of weird dynamic where someone would come to Jess for design and she would say, you know, what you really need is actually like strategy too. So meet my strategist partner that, you know, you didn't expect to work with, but now we're going to bring in or vice versa. Someone would come to me for copywriting and I'd be like, actually, your brand needs a full redesign. Like meet my partner, Jess. And so that dynamic worked for a little while, but was always a little bit awkward. And I think that was like a, I think we both had individual websites. Yes. Like that was a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then like, you know, managing our schedules together. It was like, sometimes we take on projects by ourselves. Sometimes we take on projects together. And managing our own bandwidth in relation to the other, trying to predict whose projects are going to land, where timing is going to be, when timelines slip. There was always like tension. And so there were a lot of like little fails in that model that ultimately kind of led us to to good side being the, the obvious choice. Jessica, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think like going back to the sort of like married analogy or like married comparison a little bit as business partners you know before we tied the knot (laughs) officially like you know you weren't having conversations around like when are you taking a vacation like what is your next year personally look like how does that affect your bandwidth what is your what is your financial goal like we weren't having those conversations when we were just like casually dating each other (laughs) and so I think that did create maybe like mismatch expectations of one another when we were working together in that phase, which I think now is completely eliminated because we're just on the same page with like what we're building together and and what we expect of each other as partners. The other major gap that that left for us was our portfolio. We had all these projects that like we had worked on by ourselves. Some of them we had worked on together, but then those were also like within other agencies. And so we ended up with like a really lacking portfolio of work that we had done together, like truly together. And that was frustrating, just being independent and being like, I know we can do good work together, but we don't really have anything to show for it yet. And I think that point of frustration also really led led to good side being like the right and obvious choice. And I, th- and I think along those, those lines, I think promoting yourself individually is like a really scary, vulnerable thing. And I'm 
slowly getting better at it over the years. It still makes me uncomfortable all the time to do, but I do it. I force myself. But I think now I feel like good side is just so much bigger than either of us individually. And it, it gives us something to like rally around and promote. And, you know, that lands us bigger projects. Like we've had a lot of people say like, oh, we thought good side was like way bigger than two people. That's really cool. You know, and like, I think we're just uh, more excited about doing marketing for good side versus like either of us individually and showcasing the work and talking about good side and going on podcasts like this. And so, yeah. So I think it also just gave us something to to get excited about and really promote this entity that's bigger than either of us. Okay. So many questions. So let's just recap a second. So you were kind of in this, I don't know, purgatory almost before finally going to heaven, if we were to carry on with a very weird religious analogy. But I mean, you <laughs> don't know where that came from. But what I'm trying to say is that there's kind of this gray area where no one really knows what's going on, schedules, values, maybe you've got kind of a good idea of each other's values. But that sounds like a big part of uh, the success of Good Side is like, just, I, I guess, just being totally vulnerable about like, how much money you want to earn, how much holiday you want to have, the type of clients that you want to work with and making sure that you're really aligned there. And then you were turning up to client meetings and you were just a bit like, have you guys met yet? No? Okay, this is my partner. And you didn't even know what to call each other. You're like, are we dating? Are we like, is this, should we have the conversation? And then, and then it finally, finally happened when you guys were like, okay, let's, let's do this. We know we can work well together. And, and then your portfolio comes together and then good side is launched have i got the timeline roughly correct okay great so question on that note i mean you guys have intentionally stayed small and i think that's a really interesting thing because a lot of the time there's this fetishization of big right it's like i want to grow a million dollar agency the amount of times i've heard people or seen people write that on twitter want to throw up every time i see it but sounds like you could potentially grow a team rather than having contractors, but you're intentionally staying small. Why is that? I think we both like doing hands-on work. I think we like both, you know, the day-to-day of creating versus running a business and managing a team. When at the last agency that we worked at, I was a creative director and I was really hands-off with the design work towards the end. And I was in meetings all day and was really stressed out all the time and was not doing the things that I liked to do, you know, maybe that I was doing that 10 or 20% of the week and I burn out pretty bad. So for me, I never want to get back to that place. And I, I didn't do think that if we grow, we'll grow really intentionally and keep things always small so that we make sure that we're spending our energy in the places that we want to. Yeah. I also yeah. think we talk about like different kinds of growth. I think there is like this weird fetishization of like, growing with human bodies, like just adding more and more employees, which is definitely one way to grow. But I think there's also like so many other models that we could pursue that we've kind of talked about in terms of like, is there a way that we could scale the amount of like the number of companies we can work with without scaling the people that are working on our team? Or is there a way that, you know, we could like function almost like as a venture studio and actually like, you know, take investment in our companies versus just going on a cash basis. Like I think there's a lot of other ways where you can grow, but without bringing on more people. And so when I think of 
how we're going to grow good side. It's more about having choice over our projects and like, can we, you know, can we just like get cooler and more exciting projects or higher paying projects rather than just like more people? Because we stay small, we can sort of scale up with specialists. And that's really exciting to me. I love working with illustrators or photographers or animators that are like really, really gifted and specialized at what they do. And that really adds sort of a level of oomph to to a project. Whereas like if we had a full team and each person had, you know, sort of a dedicated skill set, we'd sort of be able like be limited by the skill set of the team. Whereas when we're working with specialists, you know, and independent contractors, essentially we can source them per project basis, which is really nice for us. It gives us a fresh sort of like, you know, energy. And it's also good for our clients because we're able to source exactly what's right for their budget, for the style that they're looking for, et cetera. So it works nicely. Tell me about failure number two, guys. Ignoring orange slash red flags in new business calls. Yeah, sure. I can take this one. So we try to be really, really thoughtful with, you know, with whenever a new business call, I think it's it's a mutual conversation where we're both Sussing out sort of, is this the right fit? Going back to my like dating analogy, marriage analogy that I seem to love so much on this podcast. You know, I think you are, it is a first date. You're getting to know each other. You're getting to sort of figure out if this is going to be a good relationship and it's going to be beneficial to to all all people in, involved. And so in those new business calls, we're, we're really paying attention and we're lo- really looking out for indicators of whether or not it's going to be successful for us and and for a client, the client or potential client. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different, I'll call them flags, red flags, but, you know, they're just indicators of, of what we sort of can get reads on that we have maybe overlooked or ignored because it was a shiny new project or a big name or uh, a cool space that we were interested in. I think that we've overlooked, you know, people talking crap about past agencies that they've worked with. They're talking crap about like their colleague or whatever in new business calls and kind of been like, oh, maybe that was just like an off comment, you know, whatever. So we've like overlooked that. Sometimes, you know, we'll overlook energy, either like too much or too little energy from the client side. I think that's really important to make sure that there's enthusiasm, but not like chaotic, all over the place enthusiasm. We've had, you know, we've ignored like really low energy people and really high energy people because again, we thought the project was exciting. What are other like red flags? Like if there's misalignment with the team internally. So like we'll talk to one person in a new business call and they'll seem perfect and every we're like, great. And then we'll have another call with, you know, the bigger team and we'll be like, oh, that one person was like, maybe didn't seem super aligned or maybe, you know, wasn't on the same page. And then ultimately that's like something that comes up in the project down the line is like, oh, there's major misalignment or like this person's not at all interested in this process or doesn't think there needs to be a rebrand at all. So yeah, so we've definitely like ignored red flags or or beige, orange flags, whatever color flags. And it's always come up later on in some form or fashion. We recently ignored, there was a client who, proactively in the first call was kind of like, you know, for me, it would be a win if we just like clean up the brand. And, you know, it would be a big win if we could like completely redesign and do everything. But like, 
you know, it would still be fine if we just ended up with like a slightly evolved version of our current brand. And it was exciting. It was in the it was in the venture space and we were kind of like excited to work with the client. And so we were like, it's fine. Like we're not going to end up evolving their current brand. It'll be we're going to start from scratch. We're going to do something amazing for them and it'll be great. And lo and behold, I think when people tell you who they are, like there's that quote, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And similarly for us, it was like in that first new business call, they told us what a small win would look like to them or like a satisfying result would look like to them. And it was not, it was not the most satisfying result for us because we were like, it could have been this amazing thing. And I think selling it into the broader team they knew was going to be really difficult. We sort of believed that we would be able to overcome anything. And in the end, we ended up with like a slightly evolved version of their current brand, which is exactly what they said might happen. Small fail, I would say. (laughs) Okay, interesting. And you guys, like in terms of what you just said there, that, you know, when someone uh, shows you what they're like, believe them. And, and, you know, if a client says, look, this would be success to us, then this is a win. And you're like, "Eh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to knock this out of the park, guys. What does success look like to you? I mean, we've talked about red flags for a client. What are green flags that are really obvious wins for you both particularly? Hey guys, just jumping in here to say that Flowfest has been launched. The website is now live. So go to flowfest.co.uk to get yourself a ticket for the 11th of July. The 11th of July. So I have nothing to do with organizing this one, by the way, but this is Isabel Edwards, Ash various other amazing humans that are involved. It's going to be a great meetup. Like Isabel is just awesome at organizing stuff and she always throws herself into stuff 110%. So well worth going. She promises loads of nice things. Three no-code talks, food, drinks, outdoor games, live music. I mean, this thing is taking meetups to another level. I mean, combining a festival and a conference is a mad idea, but it's going to be sick and I'm so pumped. So anyway, get yourself to Manchester if you're a UK-based webflower for the 11th of July. It's going to be it's going to be mad. If it's anything like the website, which is sick by the way, it's going to be like the best event of the year. So Yes, get yourself to Flowfest uh, website, cop a ticket, see you on the 11th of July. Back to the episode. I think when someone's really excited about working with us, like they are only talking to us, they reach out to us, they love our work, they know our work, they've read every blog post on our website. Like to me, that's like, oh, you you want to work with us. You're not shopping around. Like you are actively seeking out working with us. And likewise, I'm sort of along those same lines. Client, like we typically book out a couple months in advance, at least two to three uh, months in advance. And if a client's willing to wait for us and be flexible with that timeline, that is another indicator of like, okay, they really want to work with us. They're really excited and 
they're not just going to go to whoever's available at this point in time. I don't know. Danielle, do you have other other green flags? We really like when folks come to us and say we want to do something different, like we want to stand out. That's something that immediately gets us excited. Our We worked recently with Superorganism, which is another venture studio, actually. And they came in and they were like, we want to be weird. We want to be like different than anybody else. We think, you know, we get so inspired by their fund focused on biodiversity. And they were like, we get so excited by like how weird nature is and how like wonderful the world is. And we just like want to celebrate that. And that was an immediate green flag for us because we were like, yes to the word weird. Yes to the word bold, like kind of yes to all of yes to your vision. And let's actually like do something special together. Whereas I think the flip side of that was the like, let's just slightly evolve what we currently have and clean it up a bit, which is what we don't love quite so much. (laughs) Yeah. You have people that are waiting months to work with you, have clients backed up often, and you have the type of agency love that I think a lot of agency owners would crave or, or do crave you know they want that type of fan fandom like advocacy for not just doing the work but you specifically doing the work how how did that happen for you both how do you go about getting clients or do they just come to you now the hot question how how do you do it and i mean i my answer is short i i put a lot of uh, that on Jess's Twitter presence. People particularly love, like, I think you've done a really good job of building a personality online and a brand online. And that's been like many years in the making. I think it takes definitely like dedicated commitment to marketing yourselves and marketing yourselves right. And I, I, I think a lot of that is because Jess is very good. I think I definitely think being on Twitter and being vocal and talking about design and being helpful for giving helpful information out, you know, to the community gets gets your name out and and people are interested in following along. So I definitely think that's part of it. I think we both have a big network from working in-house. So we both spent time in-house. So I was in-house at Asana on the brand team. Danielle was in-house at Dropbox on the marketing team. This was like pre-agency life. So we sort of had a a stint in-house. And actually, those experiences created most of my network, at least, because a lot of the people that I worked with, it was early on at Asana, you know, became founders of their own company or became CMOs of another startup or became investors or VCs. And so that kind of created a, a network where we get a lot of works referred to us through and, you know, I think also just like past clients, you know, I, I, I know that's always like the least helpful advice to give, but past clients are, are a great source of referrals. And we have a lot of past clients that advocate for us, which is awesome. Yeah. I also do think we're pretty like clear about the kinds of clients that we want to work with. Going back to that like purpose-driven piece, we we really try and kind of like put out there the kinds of projects that we do want. We have a whole blog post on like dream briefs and types of folks that we would love to work with in the next year. And I think that similarly like sends out the bat signal to the right kinds of clients to be like, 
we want to work with you. And, and when you say we want to work with you, like, I think the clients see themselves in that and, and come and they're like, likewise, we would love to work with, with you all. So I think it's like, there's also a mutual recognition of like fit that we try and proactively put our side out to say, this is who we are. And this is what we like working on. And if you fit that bill, you know, come talk to us. Love that answer okay i think i just need to say back to you what you just said to me for anyone that was like wait there were so many nuggets there like i just was i think we need to repeat some of this stuff okay so one thing building your presence online by being helpful it's not trying to sell 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 it's being helpful to a particular community and you don't necessarily need to just help your particular client group that you're trying to attract it might actually be the design community because clients don't just come from you know companies that want to hire you there might be agencies there might be past people that you've worked with it's all good stuff that you know never know where a lead is going to come from when you put out a tweet and in fact one of the tweets that you did jessica that i was i was just looking at your twitter while we were talking about this this is quite a random one in my head. It's not like, oh, this would directly relate to getting client work, but maybe it did lead to client work. I use Pinterest, maybe an embarrassing amount, but figured I'd share in case my boards are helpful resources to anyone. I have a board for most of the aspects of design, logos, type, illustration. It's got 40k engagements, 486 likes, 22 retweets, 22 comments. And, you know, it's not necessarily like, hello, purpose-driven companies, come and work with me. It's showing your taste it's helpful for the design community. And another person that does this really well is Ayush Sony. So if anyone's interested in maybe thinking about Twitter as a really good place to you know, help other people show your taste in what you do, not necessarily sharing your work the whole time, not necessarily trying to sh- sell the whole time, but actually just showing your taste, really, really powerful examples of, of how to do it. I think, you know, when I first started tweeting more actively, I like just got on Twitter a couple years ago, but like I didn't really know, didn't really use it before that. But I really came at it from like the angle of like, I actually do just want to like part of what drives me internally is being able to give back to creatives in some way, like help, you know, that really is something that like I get excited about, I get energized by. But what naturally came from those is actually a lot of in-house designers will tell the marketer or whoever the hiring person is that's looking for help with a rebrand, like, hey, you should check out Goodside. Because like I found Jessica Strelioff's tweet and like then I went on to GoodSide's website and like they do great work. So it's actually what sort of naturally happened over time is designers find us first, then, you know, bring it to their internal teams. And and that's how we often get, you know, client work, too. Yeah, it's an awesome tactic. I think like your Twitter is particularly visual as well. I think sometimes people just posts stuff like quotes and things and they're like i'm not getting clients through twitter well you wonder why like if you're trying to get paid to do you know creative work show your work but also show your process i think it's so important to say show your working this is something that i was thinking about last night as i was going to sleep weirdly but my old math teacher she always said show your working because obviously you get credit for your working, as she used to tell me. I was rubbish at math, so if I didn't get the answer right, at least I showed my working. So I might have got half a mark or whatever. So, But I think a lot of the time people say, show your work, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, sure, show your work. And they'll do a screenshot 
of a website that they've finished or they'll just post the link. That's months of work. The amount of, you know, wireframes, copy, brand identity design, like there's so much that you could share that will illustrate the project so much, you know, show your skills broader than just the final end result. I think it's so important to highlight. You didn't say that, Jessica, but I just wanted to add that there because I think it's something really important to mention. No, I think that's, I think that's so true. There's also like, there's so much gatekeeping in the creative process. And some of that's not intentional. Some people, you know, sometimes it's just like, I don't know how to explain to you how I came up with it. I just did. But there is also a lot of kind of like protective or like our process. And I think that is, it's when you break that, people find it really refreshing to see like, okay, this is actually how we do it. Jess and I had a conversation this morning about a tweet that she was writing. She was like, do you think this is too much of our process that we're giving up? Do you think it's like, you know, giving away too much? And ultimately we landed on like, it's never really too, it's never giving away too much. I think it's like being helpful is definitely how you build a network, build a following. And ultimately that does lead to clients. So yeah, a hundred percent. Be nice. Be a nice person. Be a person that someone wants to hang out with. I think we both really, we try to be good people and and show that in new business calls and online. And we try to attract those types of people. We just, that's important to us. So, and I think that people are naturally drawn to people that are nice and not intimidating or not too cool for school. So a hundred percent. And actually, that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned working at Edgar Allen Mason, Kendra, the other top dogs there are just genuinely really, really nice people, which over the course of 20 years, you know, compounds in like a referral avalanche. Not saying that you should do it to get referrals, you should do it because being a nice human is an important thing just generally for the rest of humanity, right? But I do think it um, is is a real thing, you know, people want to work with people that they want to hang out with, you know. Some people have my beer policy with clients, right? It's like, would I have a beer with them? No. Maybe energy is off. Yeah, like you're going to be hanging out with them for six months. Like, you know, it's an important thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, happy hour every Thursday. It's intense. <laughs> it's real intense. So, yeah, choose wisely. Listen to energy. It's really, I love what you guys said there earlier about, you know, the right energy in the client call, not too high, not too low, but matching your energy level. Sounds all a bit like woo-woo, but it really is a big deal. We're kind of woo-woo. Hey. (laughs) We're kind of woo-woo, and that's okay. (laughs) Tell me about failure number three, saying yes to projects for the wrong reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're we're very familiar with this one. Um, We, uh, this is probably like our most consistent failure because we are very optimistic. We like to see the good in people. And so similar to kind of overlooking red flags, which causes some problems for us. Similarly, like there are times where we've said no, or we've said yes to projects for the wrong reasons, either, you know, both of us are kind of people pleasers. We really like to do a good job and make people happy. And that can get a little tricky when you're saying yes to a project to, you know, please the person that connected you or to make the client happy. I I think money is always one that's like a little tricky. You can kind of selectively overlook red flags or say yes for the wrong reasons if it's a big budget, but in a boring space. 
happens for us like pretty frequently where we take on projects for money and we're like, well, I'm sure that we'll become passionate about that problem space along the way. And, you know, that that always makes it hard to tap into kind of your best creative force. I think there's also like big names are very shiny and exciting. You know, the vision of like, this will be a great portfolio name to have for us. Those projects tend to be like a lot of management and a lot of extra work because the big names come with big teams and the big teams come with lots of eyeballs and lots of opinions. And so those we always kind of, I I feel like it's very easy to underestimate the amount of work that is added when you have a big name client. I'm sure there are other wrong reasons that we've said yes to work. I think those are, yeah, those are like the three, I would say most frequent ones that we run into. I think for me personally, like people pleasing is the strongest force. Maybe for Danielle, it might be. It's money. I'm greedy. Financial <laughs> shininess. I'm greedy. I'm always like, we I think we do both it. have like motivators. <laughs> for the right price, I could do anything. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So I think that's also something that we we navigate as partners. It's like, you know, sometimes one will be really excited about taking on a project for whatever reason, and one is maybe less so. And so in the partnership, we we just have to make sure that we're both equally excited about it. And, you know, sometimes that means saying no to a project that one of us is kind of excited about and the other one's like, definitely. So, and that's okay. Cause but I was going to say, I mean, yeah. at least you've got each other to kind of bounce off. Because I think sometimes, in fact, the last episode that I did with this guy called Henry Ludlam, he was saying that he'll get out of a call that he's closed and he's so, he, like, he's just like off adrenaline, right? And he's like, right, I'm going to send him a contract and, you know, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my, you know, that type of energy. And he's kind of overlooked a lot of red flags because he's got what he sees as, you know, something that's like, you know, it might be a portfolio piece or it might be financial incentive or whatever. It might be like, you know what, this is boring, but it's going to pay for me to get a new laptop and now I'm going to do the best projects ever, whatever it is, right? And you try and justify it in the moment. It's just like, no, 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 just quiet down that birdie on the shoulder that's like, hey, this isn't right. But you've got each other to kind of be like, just check it. Like, just check and you felt what I felt. Yeah, okay, let's talk about that, you know? Totally. Yeah, we had a new business call the other day. And I mean, this is actually the most, this is the most common way that this sort of nets out is we're very aligned, typically. And we had a new, we had a new business call the other day where it was a second call. And so we were meeting more of the team and it was an hour call and we were talking to them. And I thought like the whole entire time I was like, oh, Danielle's going to really want to take this product on. And then we both get off the call and we're like, both like, nope, that was weird. Like red flag, red flag left and right. Let's say no to that. So yeah, it's good to, it's good to just like gut check with each other all the time. And yeah, we're usually pretty aligned, I would say. That sounds healthy to, to be able to like, yeah know each other well enough now that you can just get off the call and be like no okay cool yeah felt the same nice sorted but what advice would you give to can i just ask like this is kind of circling back to an earlier question that i asked but we talked we talked a lot there about positioning and how that relates to you know what your flags are depending on what your values are if someone is just starting out maybe as a freelancer or a young agency owner or whatever and they're trying to work out like what their values even are. Like that word values is quite a, I feel like it's it's a little bit nebulous 
for someone that maybe doesn't actually have the experience of even, you know, what are green flags? What are red flags? Any job's a job, right? Like you're just like, well, hey, yes, I'm a freelancer or I'm, an, I'm a young agency owner. Like how did you, how did you work out what your, what your criteria for saying yes and no to for projects? Has it changed as you've got more and more projects backed up and you've got the security to be like, you know what? We're going to say no to this one because we're confident that we can, you know, just get more work or like, how has that changed? And how did you come up with the criteria for saying yes and no together? Hey guys, just jumping in here to say that the web flavor of the week is Zeke. That was the best web flavor of the week little intro I've done. He says, hey Jack and Jess, this podcast is so vulnerable and honest. Couldn't come at a better time as I'm about to start a new role next month. As designers who are listening, we feel less alone. A thousand thank yous. Fan from Singapore. Zeke, that is one of the most lovely messages I've seen on Twitter. Because I think this whole idea of freelancing and freedom and, you know, being able to do what you love and stuff and, and be creative and move shapes and stuff and design and develop is really exciting. But it, it can feel quite lonely. So it's really, really nice to hear that you feel more connected and that you're less alone because, you know, other people are going through the same problems you are. So awesome, awesome to hear. If you haven't listened to Jess's episode, she drops some really, really valuable advice all about leadership but also setting boundaries and I guess just becoming a better designer and developer like you know how do you take feedback how are you an empathetic human that can give and take advice so anyway give that one a listen if you haven't already Zeke thanks so much for writing that comment as always feel free to write nice things and make us feel good about this whole web flail project thanks so much Back to the episode. Yeah, it's definitely changed. The for I I should yeah we should probably caveat this whole sort of topic by saying that it's a privilege to be able to be in a position that we we can say no to projects and turn them down and be really selective, and we know that and we don't we don't take that for granted for sure. But I would say that both of us independently and together for years we're taking on whatever project we could just to get that experience and get paid. And I think that taught us what we were really excited about, both in terms of like size of company, type of work, type of like process, type of industries, and taught us, you know, what to look out for when, you know, to tell us, tell us if it's a good fit or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think in your first, I think in your first year of freelancing, Everyone goes through this period of like scarcity mindset where you're like, just take any work that comes your way because this could be the last project that you get, <laughs> which it never is. And it's like worth saying out loud, even though everyone will tell you more work will come. It's hard to really believe that. And so for the first year or so, I think Jess and I both had periods of saying yes to things that we weren't as excited about or as passionate about. And you learn a lot through that experience. And I think that is really kind of a lesson that even if you hear it in the abstract, you kind of learn learn by experience, unfortunately. The flip side of that is that like, if you don't say no to projects, you also don't have space. If you don't say no to the wrong projects, you don't have space 
when the right ones come around, which is like a big, I think we've both had moments. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't make space for the right projects, or I guess I'll try that again. (laughs) If you don't say no to the wrong projects, then you won't have space when the right ones come around. Yeah. We've had, we've had a lot of moments where it's been like our schedule is full and the dream client comes around and we're like, we're booked out for two months. And they're like, we can't wait. And that's always like a really gut-wrenching conversation to have where we're like, why did we take that one just to like fill space? You know, sometimes filling that space is is a bit of a curse. And so, you know, leave leave room. I think we we also both, when we went independent, made sure that we had some savings so that if there was ever a break in cash flow, we would be able to have something to fall back on. And that, like, luckily, we've never had to pull into that savings, but it really allowed us to also be more selective. So that is the recommendation that I make for people that are going out to freelance for their first time solo is like, make sure you have a safety net because that's going to be able to dictate the types of projects that you take on and like how selective you can be, which ultimately is going to build your portfolio, which ultimately is going to get you more clients more of the right types of clients. So that's a strong recommendation. <laughs> fundamental. <laughs> advice, fundamental. Yeah, I think it's just, it's such boring advice. Not your boring saying I it. I just mean like, no, it is. It is <laughs> it's like the type of thing that I can hear, just hear my dad saying to me, but it's so, <laughs> it's so fair and so important, especially for any webflowers that are at the start of their journey and are like, right, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to set up an agency tomorrow. It's like, Hold your horses, cowboy. (laughs) Okay, we are coming to the end of this episode. So many nuggets. If there's anyone that wants to ask you guys any questions about this episode, where is the best place to do that? You can email us, hello at goodside.studio, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. We have our DMs open. so Or you can tweet at us (laughs) or comment on the post that you created. So we're... Uh, We're on there a lot, so we're happy to respond or respond to email. Awesome. And that's at goodside underscore studio if anyone wants to message them on Twitter. Are you ready for the final question, the hardest question of the episode? Ready. Ready in air quotes. (laughs) What is your next failure going to be? Danielle, I'll let you go first. (laughs) Yeah, I had a hard time thinking of this one. My, I think my next failure will definitely be on the personal side of things, but all things business are also personal. But I I mentioned this at the top when we were talking, I'm having my first child in April. And so I think that the journey of new parenting is definitely riddled with failures and, you know, big wins and small wins and big misses and small misses. And I think that that will be definitely a course sort of riddled with failures, but hopefully happy ones. And I think, I mean, I think like bringing it back to work, you know, navigating that from a business perspective also, I'm sure that there will be lots of hard lessons learned as we go forward and navigate that as partners and as studio owners, just figuring out again, how to rebalance and life when life looks different. I love that answer, Danielle. I wish I could piggyback off of that. (laughs) That plus one to that. I think, you know, when we were talking early on about how we sort of were in purgatory or like the non-committal purgatory stage of pre-good side. 
I could see us likewise maybe getting into that with like not knowing when to scale and at whatever in whatever form we we see scaling like I think I could see us taking another three years before we decide to grow in a in a big way because we want to be really thoughtful about it but but hopefully not now that we're talking about it I think putting your failures front and center and thinking about them make, maybe makes me shift a little bit and start planning wowzers what an episode massive massive thanks to danielle and jessica for coming on the podcast and sharing as vulnerably as i hope they would and thanks to you lot for listening now we've previously talked on the podcast about ignoring red flags and saying yes to projects for the wrong reasons so for this conclusion i want to focus on what dan danielle and jessica talked about when it comes to starting an agency Now, both of them had worked together for years in different capacities before finally tying the knot and setting up Good Side together. They knew each other's values, and only when they had built up enough respect, trust, and shared understanding did they actualize their business together. I think this is a key thing to note. They wanted to be sure that what they were doing was right before committing. And I think this is interesting to think about for webflowers looking to set up an agency. It echoes what Joe Krug, when I asked him about hiring, he recommended hiring people with the same vision as values as you, rather than just the skill set. And I think it's food for thought, whether you're thinking about hiring um, people for an agency or potentially going into an agency together. It's just really important to have that alignment, not just skill set compatibility, but alignment about core values and and visions together so that you can build something over the long term next week's episode is episode 75 another milestone very exciting and this episode is going to be with dan from Rayloom. i'm very very excited to share with you what he's got to say advice for webflowers young and old Until then, web flailers, have a great week.